All right, let's go ahead and uh, get started. Last week we only uh, I got so I have you know the notes typed up for the lesson, and we only got through like a page and a half last week. So we're going to try to do like a ton today. Um, the uh, any so as you know, hope everybody had uh, a good time Friday night. As far as, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was giving John a hard time. I was about to say, because you know what? I would have been really, really angry. We didn't text you. We left. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, so it's well, this, Friday, that before. this Friday, uh, this fr- coming Friday night, at uh, we're having the uh, the hockey game. So in two weeks. Two weeks, well, yeah. exactly. Mark it on your, your I only calendar. have a Spartans hockey jersey, so can I just wear that? Anything you want, man. Okay. We're going to... We're gonna chuck you into the wall regardless of what. Can I can I wear a bathing like a bikini? No. <laughs> you said anything I want. As long, well, you cover it with a hockey jersey, and then you. <laughs> we'll let you get away with it. Um, anything? I don't know. As far as anything else, um, I know. Uh, I don't know if Rob has been working on the gun thing, but uh, we'll, we'll wait to hear. Um, well, well, we'll just wait to hear if you're still planning on doing the trap shooting. And if that's trap shooting. Weren't you talking about... What are we, gangbangers? We're in the trap house now? I thought that's what you were... Skeet shooting. Whatever. <laughs> trap shooting. Whatever. Traps we're, weren't fun. Yeah. Just saying. Well, whatever you were planning on doing, I don't know if there's any, been any movement on that. But, yeah, there's movement. Okay. It's movement. So let us know. Um, I bought 300 rounds the other day, but that's, I think that's just enough for me. So I'm going to have to go and get some more. It's your weekly allowance. <laughs> that really, about 300, 400 rounds, that's about what I go through a week. Nice, nice. Uh, and I saw Theron's driving the Ford today, so everyone would take Thank that. God. So uh, going back to what our lesson is, we're looking at the book, When Helping Hurts, and uh, just looking at what it means to kind of be uh, this idea of social justice, poverty alleviation, uh, what the author is arguing, what, you know, is it valid? Are we, how do we think about this topic? Um, what are ways that we can implement this in our own community, in our own lives here in, uh, you know, downriver Michigan, southeast Michigan here? Uh, I shouldn't just say downriver because some of you guys might not be downriver. I had to just learn what downriver meant because, you know, I was from Ohio, so I didn't really understand what downriver was. Um, but we looked at, one of the first arguments that the author talked about uh, was why did Jesus come to earth? And he bases his position last week. We looked at Colossians and he talked about, uh, and I'll read the passage, Colossians one twenty specifically. And and this is uh, quoting, quoting there, Paul. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the author's argument is this kind of cosmic reconciliation that was one of uh, the primary purposes that why Christ came to earth. And we, we try to, so we're still trying to flesh out this idea. Uh, is that a valid understanding of why Jesus came to earth? Is it, did Jesus come to earth to do multiple things? Did Jesus come to earth to do one thing uh, with other things subsumed underneath it? How, how do we think about why Jesus came uh, and I'll read Galatians 4 uh, 4 through 5 uh, to ha- kind of settle in more context but when the set time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship and so that's Paul talking about why Christ came uh, here's a, a quote I found uh, MacArthur has I thought it was helpful 
He says, still as beneficial and appreciated as his ministry to others' physical needs was, it was not Jesus' first priority. His divine calling was to speak into the hearts and souls of individual men and women. He proclaimed the good news of redemption that could reconcile them to the Father and grant them eternal life. That message far surpasses any agenda for political, social, or economic reform that can preoccupy us. Christ did not come to promote some new social agenda or establish a new moral order. He did come to establish a new spiritual order, the body of believers from throughout the ages that constitute his church. He did not come to earth to make the old creation moral through social and governmental reform, but to make new new creatures holy through the saving power of the gospel and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And our Lord and Savior has commanded us to continue his ministry with his supreme priorities in view, with the goal that we might advance his kingdom. And he gives the quote here, the Great Commission quote from Matthew 28. So then, in the truest sense, the moral, social, and political state of a people is irrelevant to the advance of the gospel. Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. So, MacArthur arguing what? So he's saying, uh, in his opinion... All of these things that we're hearing about as far as social transformation, political transformation, uh, while, while they may be good, while they may be needed, while they may be necessary, is not why Jesus came. He didn't can't come to set up his kingdom here. He didn't come to make us more a more moral nation. He didn't come to make the United <laughs> States great again. He came to uh, save souls. Uh, and if you think about it, I was listening to a... a Quote, uh, I was listening to an audio book last night that was talking about um, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Uh, you've ever seen Chariots of Fire? You guys seen Chariots of Fire? Yeah. So the guy, Eric Little. So Eric Little, he's the he's the, the character from Chariots of Fire and he's writing, you know, he's right, he wrote this book, Disciplines of the Christian Life, so I've been listening to it on audio. And uh, he's talking about um, why Jesus can't, one of the Parts he talked, he mentioned quickly in this in this uh, uh, book is uh, a little bit of why Jesus came and why, in response to why can't we just be moral people? Isn't it good enough to be a moral person? So if we just follow the laws. We're good citizens. We don't cheat each other. We try to give to the poor. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that what God really wants? Is to us to be good to follow his rules so if he god set these commandments out and if i'm doing my best to try to follow these commandments isn't that good enough isn't that really can't can't we uh call it a day after doing that and what his argument is is that what you're basically doing is saying that what god commands is the priority so the priority for the christian life is what just what god commands so god commands us to love everybody that loves right. us I um, Bethany, do you know her? The, yeah. In this group here? Yeah. She uh, sent me a message on Facebook about something I kind of trying to give me some knowledge, I guess. I, I might have said something a little foul about Muslims, maybe. Maybe. Okay. And uh, then she uh, she's like, you know, you need to love everybody, this and that. And she... Um, it was funny because it was like it was like a forty page message and it took me like forever to read it. But uh, then I come into church this morning and the pastor just pops off that sermon like, Hey, I love everybody and I'm just like, Oh, I get it, I get it. Well and so why why is that? Like why can you see that in a sermon? Why do people what is it about loving other people that is so important? 
we think about it. Why? Not, I don't know. Not, not just because of what it's like God commands. Well, it's not. It, I mean, think about it. So, uh, what is my love for people that don't? I don't really like. If I were to, if I were to make the choice, people who I don't really want to be around, but I'm choosing to to walk towards them like, in some type of love. What is that? What is that displaying? What message is that sending? Are you saying like so? Even like we're supposed to love everybody, so like we can walk into like. A, Somewhere over in the hood on the east side, like, hey, I love all you guys. Like, well, and no, so that's a different point. So we're talking about what is love then. So what does it mean to love somebody? Is right. Just, uh, do I have to go and like give them money? Right. So what? What we're or? there's two two questions here. Is what? Why is it important to love someone? And then why is it? What? What is love? I guess like what I consider love is like how I feel towards like Glenn and Kim, and right. his brother Joe, Theron, and you. Right, but so no, no, and it's good, but it's, but there's uh, it's it's the next step. No, is it love more of an action rather than a feeling? It is an action. So that's we're getting to the heart of what love is, right? So we're our culture talks about love as a feeling, right? We that Ken gave that whole introduction today. You know, all these songs talk about love. Love, you know, is emotional. So you said the first question you're asking the importance, and then the second question you're asking what should it look like? Yeah, why is love important? Love to other people. So there's kind of horizontal love. Why, why, why is that noteworthy? Why is God commanded? Why is it important for us to think about it? Because didn't, like, in that message you just gave, like Jesus said, every commandment hangs on that. Those first two love everybody and love God. Right. So wouldn't it be. So it's part of what God commands. So we're, much we're moving. Everything else. Right. You need that to do anything. Right. So we're moving you're moving in the right direction there. So it's what it's what Jesus commands. Other things, everything else that we do can be uh, put under the, the, those two issues. But if we think about why and, and it's come up before here in like some of the Ken sermons, but the reason why is because it's it's a manifestation of your love for God. So if I really love God and I really uh, believe what he's saying to me then it's going to cause it, me to want to move towards other people in love because how do I, you know, there? it's one thing to say I love God who is not visible, right? It's another thing to say I, I love Andrew and then actually do something self-sacrificial to, to him, right? I mean, like, you know, Andrew's not a good because I not a good example because I actually like Andrew, but I'm saying someone who I may I like not care for. Some, <laughs> someone who I might not care for. Someone from a different culture. Nick, you're saying um, like in the Bible, it says, uh, if we don't have love, then we have nothing. It even said before, if I have faith to make mountains move, but I don't have love, I have nothing. So, like, if we don't love anybody, but then we're like, oh, hey, yeah, Jesus died for you, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, they won't care. Right. Because if you don't show them love, then they're not going to have anything invested in you. Right. So, and that, that's the key, that's the key point we're trying to work to, right? Is that it's actually a matter of, so, Without that love, which only can actually come from God, that it's only that transformation that comes from the Lord. So for me to claim that I love Jesus, but then I'm like, you know what? I don't care for this, these these people, and I don't what have to care what happens to them, and I'm not going to do anything to them, and I don't care if they're suffering or whatever. I don't want to share the gospel with them, but I'm saying I love Jesus. Then those those two statements can't coexist with each other is where we're going with this. And so going back to your point, Rob, 
is the reason why people may push push at you and say, you know, your statement towards this group is not how it, it wasn't know. really. It was more like the ones that like shoot stuff and bomb stuff and fly planes and stuff. It was more of that group, right? But sometimes when we make generalizations, it can hurt. It can it can uh, when we say something in general, like Muslims, like all rednecks you know, think their cousins are hot. Yeah, you know, it, it's sometimes we just have to be careful with our words, right? And right. so that's that's another point of being. I mean, we just need to be the fruit of the spirit. There's that self control uh, that goes along with it. But I mean, as far as what do the rest of you guys think? Is it pushback or is it like is it clear where we're trying to go with it? I mean, I. It's easy to love people who who you see uh, sacrificing for you. So you you brought Glenn. So Glenn has been one of those people, Glenn and Kim, who yeah, have yeah, manifested That's love. Like, it's like my dad. Right. But it's another thing to love someone, and Ken brought this up in the sermon. Jesus showed love to the disciples. These guys were a lot of times just like they weren't getting the message. They were doing things. Judas is there. You know, he's, he's still... And what Ken brought up is that Jesus, he showed us love when he knew the kind of things that we would do. So if I think back my, from 24 till now, when I was saved, you know, my life has been, you know, it's not been great from 24 till now. I've still made a lot of bad choices and mistakes. And I can, and then, so Jesus still moved towards me in love. You know, it's not a matter of, so it's, it's easy to love the people that, uh, that do good to you, but you're supposed to, what does the Bible say? We're supposed to actually treat others. Right? So you're actually taking, being proactive in love uh, and not it's waiting to for love them. on them first. Yeah. Or love on them because that's what, that's how you would want to be treated, Nick. Like, I get the sentiment that Rob has because just like him, you know, I'm an American and I'm a Christian and they're going out and killing Americans. Right? Like, 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 I get what he's feeling. Yeah. But oh, time, God commands us to love, and we have to show them love. And like the world, everybody just kind of like groups Christians and Muslims and Hindus and everybody into just like the religion group. And so nobody's going to see a difference between us and the Muslims who are killing everybody if we don't love them. I think that's, I, that's a big I, I have a very, very serious question that I've, I've pondered about this. So, okay, love everyone, treat others the way you want to be treated. Okay. Say a guy comes into my home trying to hurt me. Do I say no, I love you, or do I shoot him? Well, no. so now you're again. We're talking See, about, but, but that's what I'm saying. I, I think that deep into it, like, right? Should I? And, and am I going to go to hell for shooting? This it's guy? helpful to think that way, but again, now we're talking. We, we're getting back to what exactly is love. You have clear commandments in the Bible say that what that you have responsible responsibility to protect your family, right? So if someone See, breaks I've never the seen house, that in the Bible, though. You have. Well, I mean, we can. We don't want to get off track here, but I can. We can point out some of the scriptures that you have. A man who who doesn't take care of his family is worse than like an unbeliever. You know, so it. You know, there's this idea that you're supposed to care for your family, support, and and uh, you know, provide for your family, and and protect your family. I mean, this goes back to the Old Testament. So you have these commands that that go from the Old Testament till now that you can protect yourself. That you uh, have a responsibility to do so. So now you're talking about someone walking in. 
uh, and you have legal right here in this country to protect yourself and protect See, well, you. Well, okay, but, but then that goes to this too. Our government makes laws that don't that I guarantee God doesn't agree with, like gay marriage. And I think our government has forgotten about God. To be honest, I'm just well. I don't want to get too political on you guys or too, too without without getting into too much argument. I mean, we could say. You know, a hundred years ago, when slavery was legal, how much did our government love God? We're not. So there's this, like, you can say, there's this argument that, like, how did we? I'm from Michigan. I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it's it's a valid. I mean, I think you know, you're raising a valid point. We've gone off, like, on you know, there, there's and Ken brought this up a few weeks ago that um, by celebrating, you know, that type of lifestyle. Not just allowing it, but celebrating it. We've we've taken a step farther than what we used to be. But you know, as far as how much our government ever really was a, a Christian government, I mean, I think you can debate that. It's you know, we may have been more moral. You know, fifty years ago, we may have been more moral in our. But it's not like there was no gay people fifty years ago or sixty years ago, right? They were. No, yeah. They just weren't. They just weren't like out in public, right? But now they people feel empowered, and the I know empowered. what's going on. They used to hide, oh. and it, but that's not just our government. I mean, we see that all over the world. I mean, it's a cultural shift now. So I know it's dude. I went to Key West recently, and it is not what it like what I remember it as. It's they've taken like taken over. Well, and, you know, so some of that is actually will come out in this lesson. So we're thinking about how do we act towards a culture that is not... Right. How do I, how do, I do that? Like, I, I, there's a few... Well, stick around. We'll get there. <laughs> but we wanted to kind of wrap up this point uh, as far as why did Jesus come? So why did Jesus come? We want to come to a consensus on why Jesus came. Jesus came to, to seek the laws, to save, uh, to save those, to call his sheep to himself, right? Part of that may be cosmic reconciliation... But we wanted to also show a, there's a difference between Jesus, his mission, and what the mission of his people is. And the Great Commission being how we can determine what we were to be doing versus what Jesus did in his doing. So we, we understand all this under what is the, what is, how do we help people, how do we help those that we're actually called to do and commanded to do in order to understand this. So we first look at what Jesus did. Then we look at what is the mission of the church. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, I'm not leaving. I'm just going to use the bag. No, you're good. You're <laughs> staring at me. He's I'm like, just like, <laughs> I know, let's go. There's only so many places to look, man. And that camouflage draws my eye. Um, so what responsibilities do individual Christians have uh, versus the church? The church the, the, with a capital C towards culture. Uh, Wayne Grudem, who writes, uh, is a pretty prolific writer, gives a few of the purposes of uh, church in terms of ministry. Uh, he says, uh, the church has responsibility of ministry to God. That is, we are to worship him. So God, the church is the primary place that worship happens, right? So we come, we gather together, we worship together. That's not saying you can't do it in other places, but the primary place for the New Testament believer to worship God is in the church. We minister to other believers. So that's part of our mission statement here, right? We love others, we love God, and we love others. And we, So the, one of the primary vehicles for showing your love to other people is the church. Uh, what, the ministry of the world, evangelism and mercy ministry, and that's kind of where we're headed now. So we're talking about the primary vehicle for evangelism is, is the church. So when 
Jesus is uh, speaking in Matthew 28. He's speaking to believers in the context of a local church. Uh, let me rephrase that. There's no church at that point, but he's saying those things that he's talking them, baptizing them, those kind of things, where does that happen? That happens in the church. And he's calling them to be disciples. That's in the con- there to, to form people into churches, not just uh, individual believers. So the author here, and when helping hurts, argues that the mission of the church is to emulate Jesus in establishing the kingdom here on earth. So if you any if you guys are reading anything out there in Christian literature nowadays, you, you hear that. God's kingdom here on earth. This idea of establishing the kingdom, you know, these this concept. Uh, it's it's very popular right now. So we talked about it a little bit before, what's the problem with this type of argument? What's the problem with this hermeneutic of the kingdom here on earth? And what what so we talked about a little bit before. What is uh, some of the issue with at least maybe not a problem? Maybe we shouldn't put it as a problem. But what is some of the the, the issues that we need to think about when we t- hear kingdom here on earth? I talked about before we because they're talking about before we die. I mean, I know it's not a question. Well, he doesn't. He say that he's going to like redo the earth. He will at some point. So correct. Talking about before. You're talking about before. Right. So now, like right now. So yeah, before we die, right now, people who are writing saying we need to establish God's kingdom here on earth. What? First, where is their basis? So, well, they're saying, do by doing good, we're going to bring the kingdom. Right. So it's in, in uh, theological terms, it's this inaugurated eschatology. So the eschatology being end times. So it's inaugurated now. We can actually realize the benefits of the kingdom now by doing if we do anything. Right. Do you have a question? Um, oh, sorry. If we have, if we establish the kingdom now, is don't we? Like, isn't there a future kingdom that, like, we believe we're going to be set? If we do it now, then we won't have... And there's the tension. So that's... You, you put your finger right on the tension. So we have this promise of a future kingdom, and then we have people talking about a present kingdom. And how do we how do we correlate what they're saying with what we read in the scripture about a future kingdom? Yeah, so, like, if you're a dispensationalist, like our church believes in the kingdom now, would kind of go against that. Right. So, depending on this is in uh, where we where you believe the kingdom lies, and this is a big part of what dispensational deals with covenant theology, dispensational theology. It's dealing with end times issues or church polity. So it's not doesn't have a, a huge impact on a lot of issues, but end times that is the kingdom that Jesus promises. So uh, we don't want to get into a whole discussion on why, but there is. At least there is a problem, at least we can see with this idea that we can just do things and establish the kingdom here. In light of what Jesus uh, promises a future kingdom, when he's going to reign here on earth, right? So he's ruling a kingdom with a king. So that's what we're thinking about when we, we talk about a future kingdom. So there is at least a problem, we can a potential issue with the author's hermeneutic and, and what our understanding is. Uh, here, so we just bring that out to, to highlight that issue. But the question of what the mission of the church connects back to the previous point of what why Jesus came. Uh, the mission of the church is given explicitly in Matthew 28, again the Great Commission. Uh, Kevin DeYoung writes uh, the mission consists of preaching and teaching 
announcing and testifying, making disciples and bearing witness. The mission focuses on the initial and continuing verbal declaration of the gospel, the announcement of Christ's death and resurrection and the life found in him when we repent and believe. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. So the mission of the church and the young, which is interesting is that the young is actually from, he's a Presbyterian. So he's actually coming from that point of view, that the same point of view as the author. But he, he sees that tension of talking about what the mission of the church is as you know the author arguing it's to establish and do bring about the kingdom now and what de young is pushing back and saying is that we actually have a very clear mandate biblical mandate on what the mission of the church is is that is it's it deals with the great commission it's making and maturing disciples and bringing them together in the into a church so we, we can't just we can't play loose with this concept of what is the mission of the church we can't just make it anything we want because scripture outlines what exactly is the mission of the church. So we, we're trying to, uh, we, we have a very, uh, we, we, we just can't be, apply anything we want to what the mission is. Um, so we want, so we established what is the, why did Jesus come? Why did he, what was the incarnation about? Why did, what is the mission of the church? Uh, the point I want, one of the points I want to bring about is, so then when we talk about our neighbor, so who is our neighbor? Uh, scripture talks about, uh, you know, this idea of the neighbor, uh, the, the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor. Uh, now, the author does ask that, but I think it's important for us to think about who is our neighbor when we're dealing any question about the poor, helping the poor, poverty alleviation. We need to think about who is our neighbor. So who, what is your understanding? How have we talked about the poor, or excuse me, our neighbor? Is it someone next to us? Is it someone in our church? Right. So it's anyone that we can. It, it, the potential is that it could be anybody, anyone in need, right? So in the story of the Good Samaritan, we have there's actually it's a person in need, right? So my neighbor, who uh, it could be the person living next door to me, it could be the person across the ocean from me, uh, who I, I find out has need. So there's a, a wide range of, of that. Um, let me just quickly read real quick. Leviticus, which I'm sure you guys have enjoyed reading. Uh, Leviticus 19 talks about the neighbor. 19.18. So do not, or excuse me. Uh, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, in a strict Old Testament sense, the neighbor is the Israelite, his fellow Israelite that he's encountering. So, under God, under a, uh, a strict Old Testament dispensation, there they're dealing with the person there, the, the fellow believer in, in their community. We go to Mark twelve. Mark twelve thirty one. The 
second is this. So this is talking about Jesus, the, the two commandments that we brought up. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus is saying that uh, how important it is that we love our neighbor. Uh, and, that's, and so we, we have this important uh, command from Christ that we're supposed to love our neighbor. And as we try to establish who exactly that is. Uh, so let's see here. All within one quote saying uh, in, in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, all within our home, those we, we meet or at work, in our church, in our recreations, and more than that, our employer is our neighbor, uh, so are the, our work people, the people we work with, who serve us in shops, the men who empty our dustbins, and those who try to keep the streets and parks clean, uh, the people of Jamaica, West Africa, of Kenya, Germany, of Russia. If we love our neighbors as our, we love ourselves, we shall want for them the treatment we should want for ourselves were we in their place. So it's the author here this in this Expositor's Bible Commentaries expands the neighbor to be, as, as Emily pointed out, it could be anybody that we come across. Not just physical proximity, but anyone uh, that we can come across. Um, the connecting of the love of God and love of neighbor means that both are indispensable. So there's... There's the tying of those two concepts, love of God, love of others. And so we need to keep, keep that in mind as well. Uh, going back to what Rob brought up, why, how can I, what about the Muslim in, in other parts of the world? Uh, you know, how do I love them? But if we're called to do so, then we need to work through those issues. The author finally uh, in this first chapter brings up the question of is Israel's captivity uh, he does so to say, basically he's saying, why did Israel, his, his question in the book was, why did Israel go into captivity? And his question is, it wasn't just a matter of disobedience, it was specific disobedience. It was that they didn't love their neighbors. They didn't look to go out and, and uh, you know, minister to the people, to the nations around them, as God had commanded. They weren't kind to the people they encountered, and that was a big part of why Israel went into captivity. And so the author says, because Israel did this, and went into captivity. If we do the same, if we don't do the same, if we don't love ourselves, then we we can possibly bring judgment on our, ourselves. Uh, De Young also points a um, makes a good point here, and I'll we'll kind of wrap up this conclusion here. Uh, we do well to ground our thinking on mission on the explicit commands given in Scripture, i.e., the Great Commission. Also, we should be careful about seeing what God is doing. That is, remember, cosmic reconciliation from uh, Colossians and making it our mission as well. The passage in Colossians may have to do with, with have to do with the topic, but it doesn't follow that we then are to do the same thing as Christ regarding this reconciliation. Uh, much of the material being written on the topic, so there's another book that was popular, it's called Barefoot Church, Serving the Least in a Consumer Culture, so this author also argues a similar uh, point. Is written from a particular theological perspective in many ways. It follows on the teaching of John Stott. So some of you may have heard of John Stott, who himself sought to redefine mission in terms of evangelical and social action. So that's an important point. Because uh, De Young argues, points out in his book, uh, what is the mission of the church? But when you think about this, is mission everything? Is it nothing? Is it one thing? Is it multiple things? And the reason there's this discussion is because John Stott, it's about 30 years ago, redefines what mission is. So there's always been this mission of the church, and then so Stott widens that, that understanding. 
that the mission is supposed to be include social action. Uh, so furthermore, the authors see the world through a uh, covenantal worldview, one that sees the church universal replacing biblical Israel. So that's, that's one of the main highlights of covenant theology. Why is this important for us to understand? Why do I even bring it up? I know like you're like, I'm not following, I'm not tracking. But their particular view of end times events allows them to take portions of scripture that our circles have excuse me, typically understood as being fulfilled in the future, as Emily brought up, and apply them to present day circumstances. So Jesus' kingdom is something that can be realized in some form today according to that thinking. So for those of us sitting here today who don't see the kingdom as being present, what do we do with this issue? So if we if we don't believe that the issue that the kingdom can be inaugurated and brought into existence today, what do we do? So what how do we move forward? Because that's one of the main things that the author is saying. From that line of reasoning, it's that we can bring the kingdom about, which sounds great, right? God's kingdom ruling here today, that's what we want. This world is really messed up. There's a lot of bad stuff going on, and we need to get God back in, involved, and we need to do so by, by helping to get the kingdom established. But if we don't buy into that line of reasoning, then does that excuse us from doing anything? How, what, what, how do we move forward? I think we need to approach it from another angle in light of what we discussed uh, we, we have to meet the meet. We do have to meet these needs, help the poor. We have to look to make a lasting impact in the lives of those who are suffering because we want to be good neighbors. So it's on the basis of what Jesus commands, loving others, loving your neighbor, is how we actually, a better way to move forward in helping those in poverty alleviation of these issues. Uh, we should want to demonstrate our love to God by loving others. As one author puts it, the center of what God is doing is glorifying himself. So, if we look at what God is doing, we talk about this it's in technical terms, this doxological focus, this doxological center. God basically a big word to say that God is glorifying himself through everything that he does. So that is the main purpose of what God is doing. Everything he does, saving people, judging people, creation, everything. Sin, all of it is God is doing and allowing and decreed because it's bringing glory to himself. Uh, that the means by which he is doing that that is glorifying himself is the saving of sinners. How do we fit into that? Sitting here today, how do we fit into God glorifying himself? Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which some of you guys may be familiar with, asks, what is the chief end of man? So it's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's the response given to that first question. So then we need to align the center of what we're doing with what God is doing that is glorifying himself so when we align our priorities with what God is doing as he has expressed to us in the scripture so the great commission as the church loving God and man as individuals so we're not supposed to it's not a matter of cosmic reconciliation trying to bring about a new world order you know reconciling the creation our people to God and hoping things turn out for the best it's actually God is glorifying himself by the saving of sinners. He's given the great commission to the church. We can align ourselves with what God is doing by, by engaging in that same thing. So uh, any questions on that? Was that clear? Was it unclear? If it's unclear, let me know, because uh, we have about three minutes that I can unpack it all again. Um, one of the things we are going to talk about, uh, and I'm going to start this because we're already pretty far behind, is what is poverty? So we want to understand next. So we looked at what is the mission 
What did Jesus come to do? What is the mission of the church? Who is our neighbor? Uh, we've unpacked some of those theological foundations for moving forward. So then we start to think about what is poverty. If I were to ask you guys, what is poverty? How would you define it? When you alone can't meet the things that like your body needs, so like you can't buy yourself food or you find a place to sleep, and you can't do that by yourself. All right. So a big part, and that's a, that's actually a really good answer because that's a, a very that's a very uh, widespread way of looking at it. Is that it's it's a matter of failing failing to meet your basic necessities of life. So the basic, you know, protection that is a roof over your head, food, these kind of things. Are there other definitions that we could come up with? Any ideas? So when you think about someone in poverty or someone discussing poverty, does any other things come, come to mind? A lot of times, like, the relativity of poverty comes up. Uh, the idea that, like, the 1% of wealth in the world is typically anybody in America. And then in America, the 1%, like, is a much different meaning kind of so just that idea of globally, poverty is a much different idea than just within a Western United States. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, and that's another huge issue, right? So when we talk about uh, how can I help, I don't really have much. You still have this comparison of when you compare someone uh, to another country, another continent, you, you even in not having much, have much more than most people in the whole world. You know, and, and if, if we're realistic, sitting here today in 2016 in, in, in this classroom in Trenton, you know, we actually have more than most people have had throughout history. So looking at all of history, you know, we actually have more than most people. I mean, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to think about. I mean, but the, re- the reality is, is that we have more than people today, the rest of the world. We have more than people have had since since the, the dawn of time. So uh, the author, one of his points, again, and this is what we'll flesh out, poverty is the result of relationships that don't work. So he's not defining poverty off the bat. He's basically saying poverty is a result of. So he's saying it's a result of relationships that don't work. They're not, they're not just. They're not for life. They're not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of of shalom and all its meaning. So we'll, we'll flesh out what this idea of shalom, uh, it's an Old Old Testament word, Hebrew word, and what the author means by saying it's, it's an absence of shalom. But he bases, the rest of the book, he fleshes out this idea of poverty as a result of broken relationships, broken relationships between uh, God and man, man and man, man and his surroundings, man and creation. So it's, it's a breakdown of those relationships is what leads to poverty. And the author tries to give a, a pretty robust definition of poverty. Uh, we can talk about lack of means of subsistence, insufficiency of material necessities. Uh, we can do it from a socioeconomic. It's money income of two-thirds of, of, the nor- of the average of your culture or one-third of the national average. Or we, there's a biblical definition that some have put forth. Those who do not have were unable to obtain the means of sustaining life, and I think that's what Emily was getting at. Those who don't have or can't get access to the means of sustaining life. So uh, we'll we'll flesh out this to- topic a little more next week. Uh, any questions other than that, we'll close in prayer. 
Lord, we uh, thank you for this opportunity to get together and to just uh, look at this topic a little bit more. We pray that as we continue to uh, go about our work weeks and our school uh, weeks, that you would help us to have an eye out for our neighbor, uh, to be looking for opportunities uh, to serve one another, as Ken brought up in the sermon. Lord, we uh, just pray your blessing on our our time and our uh, week ahead, we ask in Jesus' name.